This past week, the list of top 10 Canadian heroes was published. This list was compiled from online consultations as we approach Canada's 150th birthday in 2017. The list is Pierre Trudeau, Terry Fox, Tommy Douglas, Lester B. Pearson, Chris Hadfield, David Suzuki, Jack Layton, Sir John A. Macdonald, Wayne Gretzky, and Romeo Dallaire. Now, for those of you outside of Canada, I apologize because, except for Wayne Gretzky, you probably have no idea who any of these men are. But perhaps you did notice something, and that is the fact that they're all men. Yes, where are all the women? That was the complaint from women's groups in Canada. Aboriginal groups complained that there were no native Canadians listed, and me, well, I complain that there are no Catholics. Well, at least no one who was publicly Catholic. But what's really interesting is that such a list is compiled at all. Why do we need a list of Canadian heroes? Why do we need to identify people that are good role models? Hmm, sounds familiar. When I first heard of the list, I thought, we should do this for the Catholic Church, top 10 Catholic heroes. But then I quickly realized that we already have such a list. It's called saints. It may be hard to identify the top 10 saints, but I'm sure that the list would include some men, some women, some married people, as well as some priests and religious. But most importantly, it would include a whole bunch of Catholics and, well, a whole bunch of saints. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. Let's start by giving away a prize. Our winner is Isabel Cantu of Soledad, California. Isabel Cantu is our number one Facebook fan. She's always liking our posts, and so we decided to give her a prize. Isabel is getting a copy of Colin Ray's autobiography, A Voice Undefeated, published by Ignatius Press. So you see, it's really easy. If you want to win a prize, just like us on Facebook and write comments on our posts. Of course, you can also go to our webpage, saltandlighttv.org radio and enter your name and email address for a chance to win our weekly prize. Today we have our usual contributors. Alicia is here with our news and Andrew with the Saint of the Week. And in about 15 minutes, Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary, will be here to tell us what's good in Hollywood. And Father Tom Rosica has a reflection for the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ. That's all coming up shortly. In our second half hour, we'll be speaking with Father Blair Bernard of Madonna House. Madonna House, for those of you that don't know, is a community in Canada founded by Catherine Doherty. Um, Father Blair has a new book based on the writings of Catherine Doherty and her Nazareth family spirituality. You want to know what that is? Stay tuned. It's very interesting and a great way to uh, celebrating your faith at home. So that's in about half an hour. And after that, we get to meet a new up-and-coming singer-songwriter. Her name is Tori Harris, and I'm sure you'll like her music. So let's begin with a song from Tori's new album, Sweet Dolor. Here's Tori Harris with King of Kings. Gather all ye angels And listen to my prayer And plead it at the feet of heaven 
Harris with King of Kings from her album Sweet Dolor. 
We're going to be speaking with Tori in our second half hour. But now, here is Alicia with our news. I'm here with um, <laughs> our news about the Invocation for Peace Part 3. This is the story that really? keeps on giving. I it has we're going to talk legs. about the World Cup. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no, no. The Pope is neutral in the World Cup. He, prom- yes. he promised Brazil he would stay neutral. What's up with that? Well, I don't get I it, don't but know. that's just me. Yes. Um, yeah, but the Invocation for Peace... Yes, it is the that story was like a month ago. I know, but it's the story that keeps on giving. Yes. So this week we found out that it had been worked on for a year. There was a year of work to make that peace gathering happen, that peace prayer happen. Okay. And it wasn't just anybody working on this. Pope Francis enlisted the help of a journalist, mm-hmm. a Portuguese, Spanish Polish Jewish journalist who lives in Tel Aviv. Okay. You look very confused. Yes. So the journalist's name is Henrique Zimmerman. Uh-huh. Now he is from like born in Portugal. His parents are from different parts of Europe and he eventually moved to Israel, studied there, became a journalist there and has become pretty much the the expert on the Middle East, on mm-hmm. the whole situation in the Middle East. This man has interviewed everybody, all the leaders involved in the Middle East. He's right. interviewed them at some point. He was there when Anwar Sadat's plane touched down wow. and Anwar Sadat announced, uh-huh. I'm here to ask yes. for peace. He was the journalist who broke the story about the Madrid peace talks uh-huh. in 1991. Uh-huh. He interviewed um, Yitzhak Rabin yes. just hours before Rabin was killed, like befo- right. before he left for that rally. Mm-hmm. So this man has interviewed everyone. Uh-huh. And he met R- Rabbi Abraham Skorka. Mm-hmm. And Skorka says to him, would you like to meet my friend the Pope? Mm-hmm. And Zimmerman's kind of like, well, yeah. The journalist in him is like, yeah, of, of course. course. So he goes to the Vatican. Now this would have been... June 2013, Yes, he and Rabbi Skorka go to the Vatican and they spend five hours with Pope Francis, hmm. just talking, mm-hmm. getting to know each other. And at the end of those five hours, Francis turns to Zimmerman and says, you know the region, tell me, what can I do to help? Hmm. What can I do to help the Middle East? So Enrique Zimmerman and Abraham Skorka look at each other and say, you can visit the region. Right. That would be the biggest message. Uh-huh. That would be the biggest thing you could do. You could mm-hmm. visit. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, Shimon Peres goes to visit Pope Francis mm-hmm. and invites him to Israel. Mm-hmm. And Pope Francis, in his interview with Zimmerman, which was released this week, said Shimon Peres, his invitation was so warm, like so just heartfelt. Pope Francis said, I knew I had to go. Mm-hmm. That combined with the fact that he knew Perez's term was about to end. Mm-hmm. So then he calls Zimmerman again and tells him, help me bring Perez and Abbas together. And that meeting was actually supposed to happen in the Holy Land during the Pope's trip. Mm-hmm. And Zimmerman told, well, he told the Spanish television station that things got really complicated in April after the peace talks kind of crumbled. Mm-hmm especially for the Palestinians, it got really complicated for them to agree to this meeting. So almost at the last minute, the Pope calls Zimmerman and tells him, let's move it to the Vatican. 
And Zimmerman was the one taking documents, taking like official documents back and forth to the representatives of the Palestinians and the Israelis to make this invocation for peace happen. So the print version of Enrique Zimmerman's interview with Pope Francis was released last week and just a couple days later the video version came out and that's where we saw pope francis actually turning to enrique and saying don't be humble you were working on this for a year i didn't do this you did this interesting so that was the big news of the week we learned pretty big we learned all the details behind that oh and the other thing pedro Mm -hmm. For those for those listeners who are devotees of Fulton Sheen, yes, we have yes we have good news that the miracle attributed to him was approved by a Vatican commission mm-hmm. by the theological commission. Mm-hmm. So now, the only thing they need is the Pope's approval. Good. So good. that cause is moving ahead. St. Fulton Sheen. Good. That's going to make a lot of people happy. Exactly. And maybe next week I'll have another fascinating story to tell. We can turn this into the story hour. The story (laughs) hour, yes. Peace Talks, part four. (laughs) Thank you very much, Alicia. Alicia Ambrosio, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. You can watch her every week on Vatican Connections, her show on TV, Salt and Light Television, and you can follow her on Twitter, at Vati Connections. Hi, I'm Emma Fred, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up, what's good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary. Now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Deacon Pedro, how are you? Andrew, I'm very good. You're fresh off a retreat. Fresh off a retreat, yeah. Just, uh, it was a good week. Yes. Um, don't know if you know Chris Padgett. Yes, I do yeah, know Chris Padgett. Padgett um, of course. It's from Steubenville. Yes. Um, oh, so he led your retreat. Kids, phenomenal, phenomenal Catholic man and speaker. Excellent. Um, and he facilitated for us um, all the diocesan uh, lay pastoral assistants, youth ministers in Toronto. Nice. Uh, not just Toronto proper, but, you know, just all over the diocese yes. together. So. Yes, the Archdiocese. Uh, it was great. Yeah, he's a good man, actually. We've never had him on this program, but what, what I'm working it. on him. No, I, he's, is, he's on I the list. I will go on yes. the record by saying that Chris Paget is insane. There we go. But he's Chris, insane he in is. a good way. He's you know, got he some loves the church. He loves what he does. And yes. I have great love and admiration for him. Yes, very good. So who's our saint today? We're going to talk about St. Aloysius Gonzaga. Okay. Yes. Don't know if you've heard of him before. I've heard of him, but I don't know very much about him. Okay. Um, let me just... Actually, before I go on to say this, um, if there's one thing that I learned this week at... Um, at the uh, retreat is that, you know, God takes our mess, he takes all of our personal mess, and he turns it into a message. Yeah. Oh. And, like, uh, not only does that apply to St. Aloysius Gonzaga's story, but I think that applies to all the lives of the saints, all their stories. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they are people who struggled with doubt and despair, and here you are having um, saints who, you know, end up, you know, coming to uh, love with God and love with the Church. So, um, I just want to point that out. You know, God takes our mess and he turns it into a message. I like that. And we see this message um, every time we look at the lives of the saints. I like that very so, much. Yeah. Um, St. Aloysius was born in Castiglione, Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the first words he kind of spoke were um, holy names of Jesus and Mary. Really? Uh, he was destined for the military by his father, who was in service to Philip II. But by the time that St. Aloysius turned nine, he decided on a religious life, and he made a vow of perpetual virginity. Here's another story of a saint who uh, decides to do something countercultural: mm-hmm. perpetual virginity. Now, to safeguard himself 
from possible temptation, he would keep his eyes persistently um, down, uh, looked away um, in the presence of women. Now, St. Charles Borromeo, uh, most of us do know the story of St. Charles, um, he gave him his first Holy Communion. Really? Yeah. So a kidney disease prevented St. Aloysius from you know, living a very active and vibrant social life. So he spent his time in prayer, and he read the lives of the saints. And he was appointed a page in Spain, and although that came about, St. Aloysius kept up his many devotions and austerities, and was quite resolved to become a Jesuit. So his family eventually moved back to Italy, where he taught catechism to the poorest of the poor people. And when he was 18, he joined the Jesuits, after finally breaking down his father, who had refused his entrance into the Jesuit order. Hmm. So... Um, just continuing on with his life story, he served in the hospital during the plague of 1587. That was in Milan, northern part of Italy. And he died from the plague at the age of 23 after receiving the last rites from another saint, and that's St. Robert Bellarmine. Mm-hmm. Um, the last word that we know St. Aloysius spoke was the holy name of Jesus. Um, and interestingly enough, it was St. Robert Bellarmine that wrote the life of St. Aloysius. So his feast day is today in the church, uh, June the 21st, and we look to St. Aloysius Gonzaga um, for inspiration. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I like his story. I like all the lives of the saints. (laughs) That's why you're the the saint expert. Someone who definitely stands out. Yes, very good. So June the 21st, today, Feast of St. Aloysius Gonzaga, Um, and not just him, but someone who reminds us that God takes our mess. And, and turns, turns it, it into, into a, a message. message. I like that very much. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Have a uh, great week. You too. Andrew Santos is our saint expert and the youth director at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Markham, Ontario. Hello, friends. This is Colin Ray, and you are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with my friend, Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour every week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129 on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on Holy Family Radio, and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for... What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Mark, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Pedro. It's always a pleasure to be here. I know. So you're you're a special effects guy, and finally you're talking about special effects. <laughs> That's true. Well, we haven't actually <laughs> talked about my primary area of interest. Yes. So, so. Uh, you know, so it, it's actually a good time to bring it up because this is the time of year that there's two very big conferences that specialize mm-hmm. in graphics, and mm-hmm. one of them is E3, the uh, Electronics Entertainment Expo, and they primarily specialize in games. That happens around June every year. Yeah. just happened. And then the other one is called SIGGRAPH, Special Interest Group in Graphics, and that happens in August every year. Uh-huh. And uh, it, was kinda, it was interesting. This happened last year. Um, so within this big SIGGRAPH conference, they have some special other sub-special interest groups, and uh, someone had, you know, the use of their very technical things, OpenGL, OpenCL, Houdini, Maya, terms you probably don't even know about. Nobody knows what that um, is. And someone organized uh, another sub-special interest group called Gazing Graphics, and I was like, huh. okay, well, you know, that's a whole political thing, and, and I won't get into that today. That's a whole other subject. But I was encouraged to see someone plan a session called Christians in Graphics. And I was like, oh, really? that's really, yeah. I was like, that's really interesting. You know, that is kind of a good question, you know. Is there 
is there room for Christianity within computer graphics or visual effects? Uh-huh. And uh, so I attended this session, and uh, I'd say about 90% of the discussion was centered around the things that we talk about here on the show already, just basically uh, film in general. How do you put infuse Christianity in general? But someone brought up the topic of how do you specifically use computer graphics to glorify God? And I thought, hmm, that's a good question. Uh-huh. How do you put God into graphics? And in a sense, maybe if you're saying, how do I put God into graphics, it maybe it doesn't even quite make sense, because you could say, how do I put God into a paintbrush? Because that's kind of what a visual effect is. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to put God into that paintbrush, well, you just make a very good paintbrush. But flip it around, maybe you could say, how do I use a paintbrush to glorify God? You might also say, well, how do I use visual effects to glorify God? Mm-hmm. And there, you say, well, you make very beautiful works of art. And uh, I can, you can hearken this to the Renaissance painters. In their time, they were using the highest technology to make beautiful works of art, and so many of these are art beautiful, uh, religious, sacred works of art. You know, you think of, you know, uh, the Sistine Chapel and things like that. And I'd say this is an area that Christians kind of haven't really thought about, and that is that there is no better tool today to make transcendent realities real than visual effects. I mean, visual effects is just kind of this whole stunning area where, where you can just make Anything you think of, you can make it real. Uh-huh. And so, of course, we've used visual effects in the service of great stories, like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but I would pose, you know, how do we do this kind of thing with, say, recreating something like the Sistine Chapel, but having it animated, you know, with visual effects and things like that? Right. And uh, I'm not saying I know what the answer is, but I'm just, I'm just kind of asking the question. I'm really just putting it out there right now. That's great. I mean, uh, absolutely. The the church has always been uh, using art to try to do, to to get to God. Maybe can I say it that way? Not just to yeah. glorify, but to all, not just to glorify, but to use beauty as a way to to find God. So uh, that's an idea. But maybe our our listeners can pipe in and and, and email us radio at saltandlighttv.org and tell yeah, us what they I'd, think. I'd love I'd love to hear feedback on this. And, you know, I'd say just, as a church, we're, we've just sort of slowly woken up to, you know, film. We really need to get ourselves in film. Mm-hmm. You know, now we need to look at, you know, these new areas of advancement. And the other area of advancement is graphic, or sorry, in graphics is gaming. And yeah. that's a whole other huge topic, which I'd love to talk about. But we'll have to wait until the fall, until my next segment. Yes, that's when it. When talk about God in gaming. God in gaming. So next time... We talk about God in gaming, but first we have the summer. So, Mark, enjoy a, a rest, restful summer. I'll be on the beach thinking of you. <laughs> the beach in California. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Pedro. There you have it. Visual effects, God in visual effects, glorifying God with visual effects. Um, that's what's good in Hollywood. Thank you, Mark Matthews, who is our undercover Hollywood missionary. Hi, this is Gretchen Harris, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Duke and Pedro. As the Church celebrates the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ, Corpus Christi, I would like to share with you the story of a group of martyrs in the early Church who gave us some profound insights into the gift of the Eucharist 
and the importance of our Sunday gatherings. These heroic witnesses, known as the Martyrs of Abitene, martyred in 303, were Christians who lived in Abitene, a city of the Roman province called Africa Proconsularis, today's Tunis. They were victims of Emperor Diocletian's persecution, initiated after years of relative calm. The Emperor Diocletian ordered that the sacred texts and holy testaments of the Lord and the divine scriptures be found so that they could be burnt. The Lord's basilicas were to be pulled down and the celebration of sacred rites and holy reunions of the Lord were to be prohibited. Disobeying the Emperor's orders, a group of 49 Christians of Abitene, among them a senator, Dativus, the priest Saturninus, the Virgin Victoria, and the reader Emeritus, gathered weekly in one of their homes to celebrate Sunday Mass. Taken by surprise during one of the meetings in Ottavio Felice's home, they were arrested and taken to Carthage to Proconsul Anulinus to be interrogated. When the Proconsul asked them if they kept the scriptures in their homes, the martyrs answered courageously that they kept them in their hearts, revealing that they did not wish to separate faith from life. During their torture and torment, the martyrs uttered exclamations such as, I implore you, Christ, hear me. I thank you, O God. I implore you, Christ, have mercy. Along with their prayers, they offered their lives and asked that their executioners be forgiven. Among the testimonies is that of Emeritus, who affirmed fearlessly that he received Christians for the celebration. The proconsul asked him, Why have you received Christians in your home? transgressing the imperial dispositions. Emeritus answered, Sine Dominico non possumus. We cannot live without Sunday. The term Dominicum has a triple meaning. It indicates the Lord's Day, but also refers to what constitutes its content, his resurrection and presence in the Eucharistic event. The motive of martyrdom must not be sought in the sole observance of a precept, as in that period the church had not yet established in a formal way the Sunday precept. Deep down was the conviction that Sunday Mass is a constitutive element of one's Christian identity, and there is no Christian life without Sunday and without the Eucharist. In the commentary that the writer of the Acts of the Martyrs wrote, based on the question posed by the proconsul to Martyr Felice, I am not asking you if you are a Christian, but if you have taken part in the assembly, or if you have a book of the scriptures, the commentator wrote these provocative words. O foolish and ridiculous question of the judge, as if a Christian could be without the Sunday Eucharist, or the Sunday Eucharist could be celebrated without there being a Christian. Don't you know, Satan, that it is the Sunday Eucharist which makes the Christian, and the Christian that makes the Sunday Eucharist, so that one cannot subsist without the other, and vice versa. The commentary on the martyrs concluded with these sobering thoughts. When you hear someone say Christian, know that there is an assembly that celebrates the Lord. And when you hear someone say assembly, know that a Christian is there. The message left by the martyrs of Abitene, we cannot live without Sunday, is highly appropriate for us on the day when we celebrate our deepest identity as Christians, members of the body of Christ who have been given an extraordinary gift in the bread and wine of the Eucharist. Strengthened and encouraged by the example of the martyrs of Abitene, let us pray that we become what we receive in this great sacrament and on this great feast. We cannot live without Sunday.
Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest. He's the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. You can follow him on Twitter at Father Rosica. Coming up in our second half hour, celebrating your faith at home with Nazareth Family Spirituality, and we meet singer-songwriter Tori Harris. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Catherine Doherty's personal pilgrimage led her from her home in Russia to North America to be with the poor of Christ in the slums of Toronto and in Harlem. She is also the founder of the Madonna House Apostolate, a family of men, women, and priests dedicated to loving and serving Jesus Christ in all aspects of everyday life. Catherine Doherty was a social justice pioneer, and she wrote hundreds of articles and dozens of books. Catherine's spirituality is based on the hidden years of the life of Jesus in Nazareth, what she called Nazareth family. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Father Blair Bernard. Father Blair, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. So what is Nazareth family spirituality? Catherine related everything to the gospel, and the word Nazareth for uh, Catherine was a... Meant a complex number of things. It's it. Uh, what primarily she means is uh, finding God in the ordinary. Okay. Uh, the Nazareth phase of our Lord's life uh, actually was about ninety percent of his life. Thirty years uh-huh. in Nazareth and uh-huh. three years of public ministry. And so for Catherine, Nazareth is a place where we connect ordinary life with God. And is that something that then that I can do? Anybody can do? Anyone can do it. And in fact. Uh, we're meant to do it. Uh, our Lord is teaching us a lesson by the fact that he spent 30 years of his life uh, living ordinary life uh, in Nazareth. It's Okay, so so then my question is, how do we, because those are the hidden years, how do I find out what what those years were like so that well, I can apply it to my that, life? We know that Christ worked as a laborer. He was a carpenter. Uh-huh. And uh, Catherine's message to us is that you know, we live ordinary lives in our families and through our work, and therefore we should be able to find God uh, in our ordinary family lives and work. We shouldn't be looking for God in the extraordinary. She used to say that God is found in the ordinary, or, or he's nowhere to be found at all. And so how is it that we do that? We do that by doing small things exceedingly well with great love. And so for Catherine, you'll see that there's a really close connection to uh, the little way of Therese. Yes. Both of them believe that yes. we find a way of, of sanctifying ourselves, of becoming holy, by doing small things exceedingly well. And that's what Nazareth means for Catherine. So, and, and she also talks about uh, how that is also a way to discern God's will in our life, by doing what we're supposed to do at that particular moment. Right. How does that work? Well, she, Catherine's favorite saying was, the duty of the moment is the duty of God. And what she meant by that is that all the uh, responsibilities and tasks that flow to us from our state in life are really the most clear way of uh, understanding God's will for us at this particular moment in our lives. Mm-hmm. And by performing those small things exceedingly well with great love, that's our mortification, that's our way of dying to ourselves. And that leads to something, and it leads to this. That part one, in a sense, of Nazareth is to do small things exceedingly well 
with great love, it's, which is what the duty of the moment is about. Yes. Uh, but that leads to forming a community of love, which she believed was the, the first principle of Nazareth spirituality, is to form a community of love, just like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph did. And she also um, talks about how work is prayer, prayer is work, same thing. They're not two separate things. Exactly. For her, the effort put into doing something exceedingly well with great love required a lot of dying to self. And she mm-hmm. believed that by concentrating on such tasks, we teach ourselves how to concentrate and give ourselves over to people. In other words, by uh, being perfected in uh, doing little things exceedingly well that we do every day in uh, our ordinary lives, that perfects us to be able to uh, give perfect attention to the people that God puts in our lives. And that is prayer as opposed to praying while I'm working? If your focus is on God, if you're throwing yourself into a duty or a task or giving your attention to the person that God puts in front of you, if you're doing that focused on God, she believes, yes, that's prayer. And that, that's how uh, ordinary people have to pray because they don't have the time to, uh, yeah. uh, like a, a monk or a nun would pray. Yeah, yeah. Um, specifically, let's talk about the book. So n- the book is called Nazareth Family Spirituality. That's correct. Um, it's a compilation of Catherine Doherty's writings. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, an essential thing took place in Catherine's life in 1951. She went to the first lay congress in Rome, and to her great surprise, she didn't expect this, she was summoned to see Pope Pius XII. Uh-huh. And he gave her a brief audience at Castel Gandolfo, and then he started to walk out of the room, and, and he stopped himself before he left the room, as if having an inspiration, and he turned back to her, and he said, no matter where your apostolate takes you or what work it involves you in, do not forget the most important unit of society and the church, the family. And then he said to her, do everything you can for them. And so what she did after that, in the very next summer, she started Cana Colony here uh-huh. in uh, Combermere in northern Ontario, Yes, and which is a summer camp for families, which we've been running ever since mm-hmm. 1952. And it was during those uh, summer camps that Catherine taught uh, about family life and its significance and how we offer it to God and how we become saints through family life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's from a lot of those writings that th- this book is compiled. So, so that explains why a lot of the meditations are specifically on family and marriage. That's correct. Um, so there's a lot there that I, as a married person or a, a person in a family, can take that I can apply into my own family life to make it better? <laughs> That's correct. And uh, again, uh, Catherine's point, even though she had reached some very, very high heights of the spiritual life herself, we know from her published and non-published yes. writings, uh, she she really did believe that God is found in the ordinary, in our ordinary mm-hmm. lives, that that's where we have to find him, because that's, for most of us, that's all we have. No, and I like that, because, I mean, that's so tangible. Mm. We don't, that's that's where we live, the mundane. Um, so so I, I really appreciate that. The, the, the book also includes, actually a great part of the book includes what looks like suggestions for celebrations of faith in the home based on the church's liturgical year. That's correct. Catherine gathered these from all around the world, Okay. and it is an amazing collection. And I have found myself, through participating in these uh, cycles of customs, uh-huh. not just the celebrations themselves, not just Advent, Christmas, and Lent, Easter, right. but these customs that go along with them, that they actually are capable of really forming and shaping and touching people. They're non-threatening. Uh, I've done these in the home. I was 10 years a parish priest, And I introduced these customs into my parish, and I found it one of the most powerful witnesses to couples 
who are weak in their practice of the faith or perhaps even not even practicing their faith. Uh-huh. So there's a real evangelical value to these uh, this cycle of customs and traditions. So they're easily, the, the way that they're presented in the book, it, it, they're easily adaptable for the home? Exactly. Is that the idea? So that exactly. I, can, I can take, I don't know, the Feast of Christ the King and there's some sort of meditation or activity or something that I can do in the home? What I have done is present what we do uh, here in our Madonna House family, mm-hmm. uh, but also with adaptations or suggested adaptations for people's homes, understanding the conditions are different uh, from right. each home to each home. Of course. Now, you're a, uh, can I say, is it fair to say that you're a, you're a Madonna House priest? That's correct, but That's uh, <laughs> before I was a Madonna House priest, I was 10 years a parish priest. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, how long have you been with Madonna House? Well, I first came here in 1991. We have a, a pre-seminary program, but I've been here full-time as a priest for the last five years. Right, and here is Combermere in That's Northern correct. Ontario. That's now, our training center. Did you have a chance to meet Catherine Doherty? No, she died uh, about six years before in I got here. She died in 1985 yeah. and I first yeah. arrived in 1991. But I can tell you, when you yes. come to Madonna House, you meet this woman through all the stories that are told about her and yes. told her about her. Yes. Um, I, 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 I hope that this is not the first time that many of our listeners are hearing about Madonna House. Um, I know people in Canada have heard about Madonna House, but a lot of people in the United States have as well. Um, it's well worth the drive <laughs> to northern Ontario. I've never been. I'm good friends with the community here in Toronto. Um, so I would encourage everyone to to find out if they're looking. I mean, Cana Colony, the, the summer camp for families is a great uh, great thing to do if you're looking for something to do with your family in the summer. And all that information is available on your website, madonnahouse.org, correct? That's correct. Um, Father Blair, we have to leave it there. But thank you so much for writing the book, for doing the work that you do, um, and for trying, doing what you can to get the, the... the message, and it's not the message of Catherine Doherty, it's the message of Jesus Christ. I mean, really, it's the, that spirituality that's going to help us get to where we are meant to go. Uh, she, I agree entirely, Pedro. Uh, she brought everything back to the gospel. Yes. So, so thank you very much. Thank you. Madonna House was founded in 1947 by Catherine Doherty and her husband, Eddie. Today, the community has more than 200 laymen and women and priests dedicated to loving and serving Christ through the promises of poverty, chastity, and obedience. In fact, the Madonna House family also includes more than 125 associate priests, bishops, and permanent deacons who also strive to live the spirit of Madonna House in their home diocese or wherever they are serving. Catherine Doherty's Meditations, Nazareth Family Spirituality, the book, is compiled and edited by Father Blair Bernard and is published by Madonna House Publications. And as we said, you can learn more about the book and about the publications and about Madonna House at their website, madonnahouse.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Tori Harris, with Fields of Gold from her album, Sweet Dolore.
Tori Harris with Fields of Gold. Tori Harris is probably one of the newest, freshest voices in the world of contemporary Catholic music. At only 25 years old, she already has had a song on the iTunes US Top 100 Gospel Chart. Her single, Face to Face, was selected to appear in the upcoming OCP Spirit and Song Hymnal. And this summer, her music will be heard in the up-and-coming feature film, Hoovy. Tori spends her time traveling across the United States from life teen camps to parish missions and conferences to Catholic universities. Um, she has been featured as a guest on SiriusXM, on EWTN, on Catholic TV in Boston, Relevant Radio. And today, she's here with me on the Salt and Light Hour. So, Tori, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. It is. You. So good to finally have you on the program. So, um, question I ask everybody the first time they're on the show what was it like growing up in the Harris household? Oh, it was a mess, um, oh. and it was a joyful mess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I have three sisters. Well, I'm one of three sisters, mm-hmm. and so I think our favorite game was to play dress-up, and then when my parents got home from work, forced them to watch whatever terrible play 
that we had come up with, um, and they always sat in the den and watched us with uh, eager anticipation. So, right. Um, it was a lot of a lot of joyful uh, showing off. <laughs> uh-huh. So a lot of performing. Was there was there a lot of music? There was there was a lot of music. Um, my dad's a drummer. Oh. I mean, he's an architect professionally, but uh, yeah. for fun he played drums, and so there was a drum kit in the house and a piano and a guitar. And um, I don't think we were very skilled musicians as children. <laughs> we thought we were. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> we were constantly like adding um, our what we thought was really great music into our performances. Right. Did you have to take lessons? I did. I did. Yeah. I'm uh, not a natural talent. I definitely <laughs> the fruit of a lot of um, really skilled musicians helping me out. So your parents had like forced you three to take piano lessons kind of thing when you were growing up or? No, they didn't force. We, <laughs> we really wanted okay. it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we were really excited um, because, okay, so the thing about piano is w- I come from a really big Catholic family and yeah. on the holidays, everyone would come over to the house and what's a better opportunity to be the center of attention than if you know how to play all the Christmas songs of on course, the piano. <laughs> of course, yeah. So, um, I, I wish it were a more humbling answer, but... No, no, no we, that's good. We that just really liked, we, we really enjoyed parties and... That's good. And playing dress up and, and having people sing along. And so uh, taking great. music lessons is something we really uh-huh. looked forward to. So, so you said it was a, a very big Catholic family. Was it a faith? Like, was there a lot of faith? Did you have to go to Mass every Sunday? I, I, you know, um, it was big. There was a lot of faith. I wouldn't say that we had to go to where we, we did. We wanted yeah, to. Okay. Um, I went, I went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Uh, ma- I don't know. Mass was really fun. I hear, I hear a lot of stories from kids my age that didn't really enjoy the church experience when they were growing up. But yeah. I, I think I grew up with, um, with really excellent parents. Our, my priest growing up was amazing and we were oh, good friends when my little blessing. sister turned four. Yeah. He came over to our house to bless her birthday cake. Nice. So <laughs> Nice. Nice. That's you what know, that's what priests and deacons do when they want cake. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was because he liked our sister, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm sure great. it was for the vanilla cake. <laughs> so you had so you had a really good church experience. You're you're right, a lot of people don't. Um, um, did you did you sing in the choir? Were part of a music group at church? I did. I sang in the choir. Uh, I was not good at the choir. I was really <laughs> bad at it. There was a time where you couldn't um, sing. The school, the school choir director recommended that I stop singing. You see, oh. I didn't quite understand as a kid that in a choir you're supposed to like blend yes. all the voices. And yes. So when and please forgive me, but like when I was in first and second grade in the choir, like I thought the point of the choir was to have my voice be uh, louder yeah. than every other voice in the entire choir. <laughs> right. They, we don't no. need to hear them. <laughs> we don't need to hear them. Yeah, no. like whatever. I, uh, I promise. I, I hope I've grown up. I hope I've become more cooperative and friendly. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so when did you start writing music? I, I started writing music, I, I think it was with my sisters when we would, yeah. when we would put on these plays. Um, I, I don't have any of the songs <laughs> saved. I know we wrote them. I know they didn't make any sense. I should ask you, when did you start writing good music? When did I start <laughs> writing good music? My mom says when I got to high school, it became tolerable. <laughs> she didn't have to like wince and smile. You know, she could actually enjoy it. Right. Um, at, at one point, uh, not too long ago, you decided to quit your job at your day job, and pursue music full-time. Tell us that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's a really interesting and beautiful story about God's grace and God's goodness and His providence. I uh, was very... While I I had my day job and I was growing increasingly depressed and despondent, 
I was meeting with my spiritual director every Wednesday for an hour, and we still meet on Wednesdays when I'm in town, and we mm-hmm. do a holy hour of adoration. And mm-hmm. the, the fruit of it was to try to discover what God's call in my life was. Um, and so after about two years, I remember having this very profound experience in adoration. I had, had this dream, and it was Pope John Paul II, and <laughs> it, was, it was so moving. I was so moved by that dream that I filed my two weeks' notice at, you know, my regular job, I, I think that Friday, um, and and started working at a Mexican restaurant. And the first 40 days, like, I actually have it in the calendar in my diary, and uh, the first 40 days were really, really difficult. Um, I got very sick. I got laryngitis. My car broke down. Um, like, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when I was on the point of, you know, despair and, and giving up and, you know, really, really confused with, with what God's call in my life was, um, the most amazing experience happened. Uh, a young woman walked into my restaurant. She was with her family, sat at, at my table, and basically said that the Holy Spirit had put it on her heart to send me to a conference. And so uh, I attended that conference, and it just so happened that um, at this conference that she had sent me to, um, a very, very famous music publisher was present. He was excited about the songs that I was writing and wanted to start working with me as a writer. And that opportunity alone wow. uh, gave gave me so much encouragement and momentum that it completely radically changed my experience as a musician and a songwriter. Okay, so, let me stop you there because it, it is yeah. a story of grace and it's a story of trust. What is the lesson there about how God is acting in your life and, and how about we should speak to strangers in restaurants? <laughs> I'm... It's, it's twofold. The first is be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's going to sound really silly. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that for this woman, her name was Melanie, for her to tell me that the Holy Spirit had put it on her heart mm-hmm. to send me a random waitress to a restaurant probably sounded kind of silly. And she didn't know you could sing or anything? No, no. She'd never heard me sing. She'd never heard my songs. She didn't even know if I was a good songwriter. Um, and yet she did that so... You know, there's there's that verse in Scripture that says, you know, the cross is foolishness mm-hmm. to those who are perishing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so one lesson of the two I would say is, like, sometimes it's going to sound really foolish, but that's just how God works. And, mm-hmm. and be obedient and, and don't be afraid to be foolish because mm-hmm. you being foolish could absolutely change the course of someone's life forever. Right. Yeah. Um, the second thing that I would say is the lesson the Holy Spirit's teaching me is at all times— God is prepared to give me uh, the deepest, rightly ordered desire of my heart. Like, my, my ability to follow God's will, like, He's already prepared the path, but the path requires faith. Mm-hmm. And faith isn't sitting and waiting for something to happen. Faith is alive, and it's moving, and it's active. And the walk that God has me on personally right now is this walk of uh, abandonment and trust. So mm-hmm. in prayer, receiving from the Holy Spirit and discerning with my spiritual director what it is that God's asking me to do, and then stepping out and doing something without any assurance, you know, in the material and rational world that it's going to work out, and and just totally putting my faith in Christ. And the amazing thing is, is every single time that we've gone through that process where we've we've prayed about it, we've discerned it, we've we've confirmed through consolation that this is from the Holy Spirit, and then we step out in total foolishness. You know, like, I quit my job. I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I put a lot of money on a credit card to, to buy music or something. And mm-hmm. 
Um, and every time, God, in His way, radically provides um, to the point where you know we're scratching our heads, and right. and the only answer is all glory and praise to God. Like, how could this happen Amen. without Him? Like He He did this, He provided for it, um, but it required my participation to step out in faith, mm-hmm. you know, to need the miracle that He could provide. I know what a what a great lesson in in jumping jumping out of the plane without a parachute. <laughs> um, I, I got thirty seconds with you, and I want to ask you about the title of your album, Sweet Dolor. Yes. And I speak mm-hmm. Spanish, so I know that that means pain or sorrow. Yes. So wh- where did you get that title and why? Um, I'm fascinated by the mystery of redemptive suffering. I'm, I'm so fascinated by it. And my process as a musician right now has been one of total desolation and total consolation, just kind of evolving and, and moving mm. around in a circle. And so Sweet Dolor is, for the first time in my life, as I'm living radical obedience to Christ in this way, um, I've experienced more sorrow and more suffering, more growth in my life in these past two years than I've ever had before. And yet, uh, like Christ, it's, it's, it's become this really, really sweet suffering because it's so redemptive and it's so purifying. Mm. Um, and I'm getting to this place where I'm beginning. It sounds kind of weird, but it's like I'm beginning to, to fall in love with the passion and fall in love with what it means to unite my sufferings to the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And so rather than suffering being this this very sad and heavy thing, it's it's becoming uh this I hate yeah, it, yeah, it's weird. It's it's like I'm I'm kissing it. It's, it's, it's tender and it's sweet yeah. and it's beautiful and it's God's mercy. It's a gift too to to have that. Um and I, and I, I hope and I think it's true that a lot of your listeners will get that through the music. Um Tor, we have so. to we have to leave it there, but it's been so good chatting with you. I'm sure we'll have you <laughs> on the program again. Um <laughs> Uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and stay in touch, okay? Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. You can find more about Tori Harris, purchase her music, or book her for your event at her website, toriharris.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Tori Harris with Less of Me from her new album, Sweet Dolor. Lord, here I stand Here are my hands They're fragile and they're small And they're empty But I give them all to you Lord, here I find Here is my
with Less of Me from her new album, Sweet Dolor. And that will take us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you missed part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. And that's also where you can stay connected to win weekly prizes from our featured artists and guests. Remember to like us at facebook.com slash slradio1 and send us your comments on what you've heard on this program. You can also like me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. Remember that this program is available thanks to our generous donors. Please consider making a donation to keep the Salt and Light Hour on the air. Visit us at saltandlighttv.org to find out how you can support our work. Thank you for considering us when you make your charitable contributions. And thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.